welcome back to What's Up With, the World Institute on Disability podcast, where we discuss what's up in the disability community across the globe. On today's episode, I'm super excited to share my very fruitful conversation about the intersectionality between racism and ableism with a wonderful Nikki Brown Booker. Nikki is the program officer for the Disability Inclusion Fund over at Borealis Philanthropy, and she's also a biracial woman of both Black and Filipino descent living with rheumatoid arthritis. We talked about Nikki's experiences with respect to her identities as a woman of color with a disability and how the systems of racism and ableism operate together to undermine people of color with disabilities. And I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Nikki. I am excited to have this much needed conversation about the intersectionality between ableism and racism. And before we even dive into my questions, the first question that I always ask all of our guests is always, how are you doing today? I'm I'm good. So it's a, a little bit of a cloudy day in the Bay Area, but uh, it's really nice and I'm very excited to, to have this conversation. Yes, me as well. So as a biracial woman of Black and Filipino descent and also having a disability, how would you say that you have had to navigate the world in respect to those identities? Oh, such an interesting question. Um, you know, I feel like uh, when it comes to like navigating the world as a biracial person and a person with a disability that often you're asked to kind of choose which identity you happen to be at any particular time or, um, or moment, which um, I find really challenging to have to do. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not just you know, a person with a disability, you know, during any particular time or moment, I'm, I'm also, you know, I have multiple identities and I'm all of those identities, uh, you know, all the time. So um, I think that that's been like one of the biggest challenges of being, I uh, have, having multiple identities that are really uh, obvious to people, you know, they're obviously visible. Um, kind of feeling like I have to choose <clears throat> which one I'm being at any particular time. I also think that that's, you know, that's not just something that happens with like, you know, in general. I mean, it happens even within my own like family structure or even with like friends or at school, like um, having to be like, you know, you know, I mean, I ask, have people ask me all the time, do you identify with one particular identity more than another? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. And it's like, and why, why would you even ask that question? What is, what is, yeah. So, um, but it happens all the time, all the time. So I think that's been like the, one of the more challenging things about being, having multiple uh, identities um, and also just like um, you know when I'm around and when I'm in a particular group like you know say I'm like you know hanging out with like a group of like people Filipino people or something sometimes they're like you don't look Filipino are you really are you re really you really belong right so and, and and that happens in many different settings like do you uh, do you really belong because you don't either look a certain way or we don't or you're you know 
I'm not quite like quite sure why you would identify as this or that. So mm -hmm. that's that's something that uh, happens quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And have you felt pressure to like have to prove yourself either way or the other into one identity? Yes, all the time. I think I think that happens a lot. Uh, I think that happens more with like kind of my ethnic identity than when maybe with my oh, disability because my disability is really clear and obvious. But like sometimes when I'm, you know, on the, um, you know, this happened. We when I rem I remember this happening when I was in like uh, middle school, like being kind of like by some of the other black students them not feeling like i was really like part of the group uh you know because i didn't speak like for once someone actually told me you don't really speak like a black person you have like per you know uh, you know you're not speaking like in slang or you know like everyone else i'm like well my mom you know really taught me not to speak don't to speak in a certain you know with you with regular English and not to like, you know, use a lot of slang. That's just how I was brought up. Um, and uh, so I've had that experience and I've had that experience from the other side too, being Filipino and being mixed. I think a lot of Filipinos are um, kind of racist against black people, you know? Um, and so, you know, there's been like some you know, experiences there where, I would have to be like, I would have to like prove that I was, that I really was Filipino, like, you know, that I had, um, you know, a Filipino mother that I, you know, had lots of, you know, grew up with a very strong Filipino uh, family and, you know, spent, I mean, for me, I actually, growing up as a child, I spent more time with the Filipino side of my family than with the Black side of my family, because my Black side of my family were um, from the South and Mississippi area, whereas all of my mother's family literally lived within like two miles of my house. So, so you know, uh, you know, I saw my Filipino relatives virtually every day. We were in school together with my cousins and, you know, went to my grandmother's house every Sunday for dinner. So yeah and how have you how have you navigated all of these challenges that you face fitting into these identities and having to feel like you have to choose between one or the other how have you been able to navigate that and turn that kind of on its head well i mean <clears throat> i i feel like i push back against people about that all the time i'm like um i you know like having people ask me to choose or for or like wanting me to choose or act a certain way i just i act the way i am and who i am and you know if they don't like it then they don't like it <laughs> i'm not gonna like change uh or try and be someone that i'm not or be different than who i am and also not deny a you know a part of me because you know someone else or some group wants me to do that so i really like you know i kind of push back against that you know when people ask me like what my nationality is or ethnicity is i always say you know i'm black and filipino uh they ask me about my disability i'm pretty open about answering questions about that so um you know i've i've never denied any part of who i am 
even when people have wanted me to. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's no one way to be a Black person. There's no one way to be a Filipino person. And there's no one way to be a person with a disability. And it's really disconcerting that people feel that, you know, people who are multiply marginalized have to even be a monolith. But I think it's really commendable and admirable that you have that self-assuredness and you refuse to choose and you refuse to let other people define who you are. How would you say that the systems of racism and ableism are interconnected? Mm, Good question. Well, I feel like they're definitely um, very connected to each other. I mean, anything that makes you feel less than or or an other is, uh, you know, uh, you know, in in any type of discrimination, um, you know, really is, you know, is a problem. And I feel like, um, you know, when you have like multiple ethnic identities along with a disability, um, that sometimes like, uh, I feel like, you know, when you you talk about cross movement work, you know, I think a lot of times people um, in, uh, you know, a particular, movement don't haven't really brought in like people with disabilities as much you know or 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 they don't they see the movements as separate but they really aren't separate um you know there's ableism exists within you know the black community the filipino community against in in every just other types of communities and and partially is that it's really um ableism to me is something that is like kind of universal in a, in a way, you know, across, across communities. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, no one's taught how not to be ableist. I think people are more taught how to be ableist as they're, as they're growing up. So um, I feel like, there is definitely um, that that exists in, in almost all communities. And then, you know, intersecting that with, with like racism, um, you have, so you have this like, you're always, you know, you're always like, for me, I feel like I'm always having to prove that I'm smart. I'm always having to prove that, you know, that, um, that I can like, speak intelligently or that I can, you know, I can do, be, be whatever I am or who I am or what I want to be. Um, and because, because I'm always rubbing up against like racist ideas and, um, white supremacist ideas and ableist ideas that for somehow I'm not, as good as someone else because of the color of my skin or my physical disability. I don't know if that answers your question, but. (laughs) Yes, that did answer my question very comprehensively. This time last year, we were really having this conversation. We were having a so-called, you know, reckoning with race. And we were having a lot of these conversations about racial justice. Why do you think that the racial justice conversation has to include people with disabilities? Well, I think, I think it absolutely has to include people with disabilities because, you know, white supremacy is everywhere. And, um, you know, and white supremacy says, it, it, you know, one of says that you're less than if you are not quote unquote, what they would 
think as normal, whatever that looks like or <laughs> is. I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to be. Um, and so I feel like uh, the racial justice movement really needs to bring people with disabilities really active into that movement because it's the only way that we're going to win is if we work together. Um, and and you know and fighting those ideas of white supremacy and fighting those ideas of you know ableism and racism that um you know and also i feel like um you know those movements really need to also kind of address their own ableist ideas and um and really kind of work through those so that um so that people with disabilities really feel understood and included within those movements um and like i said the only way we win is if we work together absolutely i think definitely it has to be said that racism creates disability in a lot of cases right that's why black and brown people account for the most disabled people you know because in a lot of cases racism creates like one system really can't exist without the other. And if we look back in history, ableism really started some of the earliest traces of ableism occurred during slavery time, where the concept of phrenology was really pervasive. You know, the idea that the slaves were born with like inferior skulls, like the composition of their skulls is why like black slaves were inferior to whites. The way that black people were characterized as being hysterical and like biologically predisposed to being uncivilized. And this was what the notion was. And it's still the stench of that the remnants of it is still very much pervasive and you know the vestiges of it is still very much like here to stay and yeah like one system cannot exist without another it literally as long as ableism exists racism will always exist and yeah definitely those societal barriers you know only continue to create disability which is why we all need to come together to fight for for each other really and absolutely how do you think that people from different people with disabilities from different intersections can come together to fight for disability justice? How can that start to happen? Well, I think that just having a conversation about it, I think is really important. I think that 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 I feel like that conversation is starting to be had, but I also really felt like, you know, we need to ha have more communication together and with each other to really see where the commonalities in our movements are and also to really you know just as, you know people with disabilities can be racist can be racist and you know people who are you know as a person of color could be able ableist so until we actually start having the conversations about what that looks like what that feels like and um and you know, really having, ha, trying to like kind of uh, bring some understanding to each other, then um, we're always going to be fighting against each other. Like I said, we have to work together to win. And I feel like bring really actually having some sometimes hard, challenging conversations with each other about those things is really um, 
to me is so important and really foundational to the work that needs to be done. Um, and I feel like when we start having those conversations and start having like understandings and meanings uh, behind, you know, what that look feels like for each other, then, you know, it's, we can really come together and actually start working together. WID has recently relaunched our new and improved blog, where we tackle current events affecting people with disabilities, from the Free Britney movement to why people with disabilities don't want to go back to normal, to disabled TikTok creators that you need to be following, there's no shortage of content. So visit our website today at www.wid.org forward slash news forward slash blog to catch up on our latest blog posts. From a perspective of a business, why is it important that companies and businesses and corporations, that their diversity and inclusion initiatives include people with disabilities? Because a lot of times people with disabilities are left behind when people think of diversity and inclusion. Why is that so important that people with disabilities are included? Um, well, it's hugely important because I mean, there's a couple of reasons why I think it's important. One, if you have people with disabilities who are actually working for you and in your business, then you're gonna, it's gonna force you to actually really think about access within your own companies and and making sure that uh, all your workers have you know you know equal access to all the things that they need, and you don't you don't really get that until you have someone who's working there who might have like you know who might need something something as minor as having their computer put up on a stand so it's at the right eye level right it's the, like like we're not talking like we have to do major expensive changes or anything sometimes access is very very minimal i use i use two uh pencils for typing you know that's a that's a 30 cent solution right <laughs> for for access so um i think for companies um like having uh people that are uh people with disabilities working there um it's it, you know it, it makes people feel included it's also um um you know they're really missing out on really good good uh skills and um and opportunities if for from people if they're not really incorporating people with disabilities into their into the workforce i mean people with disabilities have a lot to offer um the community and are and also have a lot to offer businesses and it's like you know you don't know that you're missing out and you, you know you know sometimes you don't know what you don't know and I really feel like businesses really need to think about um, really bringing more people into the community, into their work. Um, and, uh, and that's one of the ways that we combat ableism. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you. And I would personally, I would love to hear more about your work at the uh, Disability Inclusion Fund team at Borealis. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got involved in the philanthropy space? Sure. So I was, uh, before I uh, uh, started in philanthropy, I was an executive director at a 
an organization in Berkeley called Easy Does It Emergency Services. So I was on the other side of writing grants and trying to get uh, funding for um, my organization. And, um, you know, understand, you know, the challenges and the struggles of writing grants and trying to get money. And I was really interested in learning more about the other side of that picture and learning more about philanthropy. So when this position opened up, I was really excited and, um, um, and applied for it. And I think one thing that's really unique about Borealis Philanthropy uh, as an organization in particular is that they really try to hire people who have lived experiences of the communities that they're serving, that they're, you know, that they're basically giving, um, giving to. Um, and so I think that was one of the things that attracted them to me is that, you know, I've been an, an advocate in the disability community for, you know, probably well over 20 years and really understood the community, um, have, you know, have lots of lived experiences. So, and I use that in um, my work for the fund, you know, on a daily basis. Uh, I feel like a lot of the organizations that we've given money to, I understand, I understand the work that they're doing. Um, I've either been a, a you know, under, understand it from like a perspective of, you know, understanding what those services look like, because either I have received services or I've worked to give those types of services. Um, and also just understanding like the policy policies behind um, um, different um, types of work um, and, um, you know, understand advocacy and, you know, have done lots of organizing um, um, on disability issues. So um, I think that really made me well suited to, to work in philanthropy because philanthropy in general, I think is really, doesn't really understand the disability community and the needs that they have. So, um, you know, I feel like the fund, one of the, re, one of the, one of our goals of the fund is really to teach philanthropy about disability and for philanthropy to, uh, and for also the disability community to learn more about philanthropy and how that, and how that works. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I want to circle back a little bit because we talked a lot about your cultural identities, but I want to discuss more about how it was like for you growing up with a disability and what were some of your experiences and what support systems did you have? So if you could share that with us, that would be great. Sure. Um, you know, so I come from a really big family. I'm the youngest of eight kids. <laughs> yeah. And both of my parents are also come from big families. So, uh, you know, my mom is the oldest of nine kids. And I think my dad was the second youngest of uh, eight kids. So, um, so I grew up in a really big family, really big, like, uh, I have six brothers <laughs> and one sister. Um, so um, I really think that actually really shaped my experiences as a person with a disability. One, because my family really uh, didn't, they, 
I, I know for a lot of people with disabilities, they tend their families tend to be really overprotective of them. I think my family was kind of a little bit of the opposite. They're always like, you know, you, you know, I have brothers were like, you can do anything that you want to do, just go in, go in and do it, and always really supportive. Um, and um, I also, you know, went I did uh, as a young child go to was part in, in special ed. You know, I was. Uh, um, you know, in a special classroom until I was like mainstreamed into uh, like a regular classroom. Um, and um, I, um, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, as a young child um, with my particular disability, I have rheumatoid arthritis, a juvenile form. I spent a lot of time in hospitals a lot of time like doing things like physical therapy and um you know I've had many many surgeries as a kid so I think that really kind of you know shaped my understanding of what disability really means um and um you know so but I think you know coming from a big family that was you know really supportive of who I am and um really went a long way. I also came from a family of, I mean, I feel like my mother and grandmother were really like really strong women and <clears throat> really, uh, you know, they had to take care of a lot of kids. <laughs> they had a lot of responsibilities and, uh, and were really, really hard workers. My parents owned a restaurants when I was growing up and my uh, my father was a chef um and um and if you've ever worked in the restaurant business there you have to be extremely hard workers and and so I really feel like that was like uh part of my work ethic came from my family and my parents in particular and also just like you know my parents really supported me in like going after whatever I wanted and what I believed in. And um, so, you know, that was just something that I grew up with. Um, and, you know, my, my dad was in a union, my mom was a domestic worker. And um, so I really, you know, and those are kind of uh, issues that are, are really important to me. So you know, I, I feel like that really had an influence on my, like, kind of uh, love and desire for social justice. Mm -hmm. That is wonderful that you have such an amazing support system. That's amazing. And based on your own experiences, what advice would you offer to other people with disabilities who come from multiply marginalized backgrounds? What would you say to them? Um, I would say to them, you know, don't let people push you around. <laughs> um, let you, you know, don't <clears throat> don't choose who you are in any particular day or time. You you be who you are. Um, be proud of who you are, and really kind of you know stand up to the to to that type of uh, marginalization. Um, and um, you know we are everybody has different skills different challenges different um 
you know, things that they're good at, you know, find what you're good at, find the, find the thing that you love and, um, and figure out how your disability or your ethnicity really enhances those things and, um, and can make those things, uh, you know, use those things in your life as opposed to you know, fighting, trying to like fight against them. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're doing. And it's amazing. It really is marvelous for sure. Where can our audience keep up with the uh, disability inclusion fund work that you're doing at Borealis? Where can they find more information? Um, I think, you know, you can find information on the Borealis uh, website um, and sign up uh, to be on the mailing list for the disability inclusion fund, which you can do um, um, on the on the website also. Um, we're, we're, we're doing lots of exciting things. We have a request for proposal out right now. We'll be doing more grant making next year. Um, and, uh, I think one thing that I'm really excited about for us in the future is we're going to be doing a lot of capacity building, uh, for not only for our grantees, but also just like helping, like thinking about things that the community needs and, and providing some more capacity building around those types of topics. That is fantastic. Well, it was so wonderful speaking with you. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would want to tell to our audience? Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything. Um, I mean, I guess I'll, I guess my last thing I would say is, you know, one of the things for me that's been really important that I've learned as a person with a disability and a person of color um, is that, you know, people are always going to try and like kind of knock you down <laughs> and um, or not even knock you down, but just make you feel like you're less than than, you know, and um, and just remember that you're not <laughs> that you, uh, you know, that you have is every right to be part of the world and society as anyone else. And, um, and you make your presence known. That is absolutely awesome advice. Well, thank you once again for joining me. I had so much fun having this conversation with you today. Thank you. So great to have this conversation about racism and ableism with someone who exists within several multiply marginalized identities. Her self-assuredness and willingness to proudly claim all of her identities and tear down the systems of racism and ableism is the absolute embodiment of disability justice. Now, as always, you can find ASL interpretations and transcripts for this episode and all of our past episodes at www.wid.org forward slash what's dash up dash wid and if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to share it now thank you so so much for listening to watching or reading today's episode and in our famous last words here on what's up wid to paraphrase one of our founders ed roberts we need to get out there and change the old attitudes so we can build forward better thank you so much and i'll talk to you next time <laughs>